Finally, after two years, Absalom takes his revenge on his half-brother Amnon for the crime he committed against his sister Tamar, but not without great consequences. This is the 28th sermon in the series Kingdom, Dynasty, and Glory, an exposition on the second book of Samuel. Our old covenant reading coming from 2 Samuel in chapter 13. 2 Samuel in chapter 13, beginning in verse 18, beginning in verse 18, to the end of the chapter, verse 39. Beloved of the Lord, this is the word of God unto us this morning. By inspiration of God, we pick up the tragedy and the horrible assault on poor Tamar as she is thrust out of Ammon's house. The scripture records this. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her, for with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garments of diverse colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Ammon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard all of these things, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal-Hazor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, thy servant hath sheep shearers. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. And all the king's sons arose, and every man get him up upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass, while they were in the way, that tidings came to David, saying, Absalom had slain all the king's son. There is not one left of them. Then the king arose and tear his garments and lay on the earth. And all his servants stood by with their clothes rend. And Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's sons come. And thy servant said, So it is. And it came to pass, as soon as he made an end of speaking, that, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also 
and all his servants wept very sore. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Gezer. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Gezer and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Galatia, Galatians in chapter 6, a verse that we read often in our New Testament reading, Galatians in chapter 6, two verses only, 7 and 8. By the same Spirit, the Apostle warns all of us as he states a very factual truth. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Thus far as the reading of God's most holy and errant and finally authoritative word, the grass withers, the flower thereof fades away, but the word of God stands forever. And by his holy word is the gospel presented unto us again this day. Now, Amnon had brought about irreparable damage to his half-sister Tamar, which produced severe physical, emotional, and psychological trauma, as well as social trauma as well. All of this was brought upon the girl because of the loss of her half-brother. Added to such extreme injury was the fact that while the king was extremely angry, as the scriptures say, he was very angry over the assault of his daughter Tamar, he actually did nothing about it. Amnon's action resulted in apparently no consequences, at least at this time whatsoever. Justice in Israel had been perverted and the king's son Amnon had seemingly gotten away with a vicious crime against his own blood relative Tamar, an innocent daughter of the king and a beloved sister of Absalom. And yet this all began years before. The problem here did not just begin with Amnon's lusting after his sister. All of this began years before when David had initiated these problems, failing to control his own lusts. David's pattern of laxness in executing just penalties for crimes was also an evidence of problems within the kingdom well before this situation because he had previously failed to bring charges against Joab for the premeditated murder of Abner. Perhaps that was the beginning of the problem. Perhaps that was the beginning of a pattern of which David should have remedied immediately. And yet, neither he was aware of this blind spot or he was unwilling to do the hard thing. Either way, he did not do the hard thing as he should have. In fact, it seems as if David capitalized on Joab's murderous character when he engaged him in the murderous conspiracy against Bathsheba's husband Uriah. So certainly not everything was was Shangri-La in the kingdom. And as a result of David's failure to execute a just sentence against Amnon, Absalom takes matters into his own hands. Now one question might arise at this point. What was David to do? Now the right response was anger. That was the right response. But was that response enough in and of itself? Was that response enough? There had to be consequences. To execute Amnon, the heir of the throne by death, was, of course, it could be the maximum penalty to be sure. 
But was the death penalty mandatory? Because Amnon's crime was multifaceted. It seems as if he is guilty of both sins and crimes. First, he is guilty of deception and lying. He deceived not only the king, but he deceived his sister Tamar. Second, he is guilty of lusting after that which was unlawful, refusing to mortify his lustful desires. Third, he is guilty of conspiracy with his cousin Jonadab in the execution of this crime of rape. In fact, it would not be too much of a stretch to infer that Jonadab probably either also lusted after Tamar or coveted Amnon's royal position as the king's heir. Remember, he said, you're the king's son. You should have anything you want. I wish I had that opportunity. Fourthly, Amnon is guilty of violating the trust of his sister and the trust of his father, the king, in an attempt to satisfy a sinful desire. Fifthly, he is guilty of physical assault by treating poor Tamar violently. John the Baptist gives this commandment in Luke chapter 3, verse 14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And John said this, Do violence to no man. So he is guilty of that as well. Sixthly, he is guilty of the crime of incest. According to Leviticus 18, verse 9 and verse 11, Moses tells Israel this, The nakedness of thy sister, the daughter of thy father or daughter of thy mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad, even their nakedness shalt thou not uncover. This speaks of incest. Verse 11, The nakedness of thy father's wife's daughter, begotten of thy father, she is thy sister, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. So this crime of, of incest was forbidden by Moses. These verses forbid any sexual relation with a sister or a half-sister. Now, these were not particularly capital offenses. We know that Canaan committed a like atrocity against his own mother, but he was not put to death. He was actually cursed of God. Number seven, Amnon is guilty of forcibly violating his sister Tamar. This was a crime depicted in scripture as a gross violation of the human body and it is always condemned by God. It is an act which defiles the victim. We read this in Genesis 34. In Genesis in chapter 34, innocent Dinah, obviously a beautiful young woman, much like Tamar, by no fault of her own. You cannot fault the young women for being beautiful. This is how God made them. You cannot fault these young women for being innocent. But because of no fault of her own, she is violated by Shechem. In verse 1 and 2 of Genesis 34, we read, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. No fault of her own. It was the lust of this young man. In Deuteronomy 22:23 through 29, God had commanded that no woman be forced into an encounter against her will. According to the law of God, depending upon the particular situation, this held a maximum penalty of death. However, 
there are a few stipulations depending on the circumstances concerning such an act which Tamar refers to in verse 13. Now remember, Tamar suggested to Amnon that he might ask the king to give her to him. Remember she says this, Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Now according to the law, whenever a man violated a virgin who is not engaged to another man or another man's wife, and that's very important, it's very complicated, the law can be very, very complex here, but according to the law, whenever a man violated a virgin who is not betrothed to someone else or violated another man's wife, he must pay what is known as the bride price. If he refuses to pay the price, he then was to marry her, he would be forced to marry her if the father permitted it and he could never then divorce her. That was the penalty. In the situation with Amnon and Tamar, the maximum penalty of death did not have to be enforced as long as the woman was not another man's fiancé or wife. This particular case is not one of adultery which has attached to it the death penalty. It's something completely different. Now, of course, in our modern day, we think that a rapist should be immediately put to death, and that might not be a bad idea. But is it the Word of God? Is it the law of God? And that's what we have to figure out. The option of paying the bride price was not even considered by wicked Amnon. She intimated that you could just pay the price and I could be your bride. That wasn't even considered by Amnon because what he really wanted was his lust to be satisfied, but he didn't want her to be his wife. He simply wanted to violate her for his own selfish lusts. And this is what is stipulated in Deuteronomy 22, 28-29. Notice, if a man find a damsel... Now notice the caveat. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin which is not betrothed, very specific, a virgin which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her and lie with her, and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, that's the bride price, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her, he may not put her away all his days. That was the penalty. That was the law. Now, of course, if the option of paying the bride price was chosen, David could have refused to give his daughter Tamar to Amnon. But that would have been up to David. Amnon still had to pay nevertheless. And we learn this in Exodus chapter 22, verses 16 through 17. Notice, And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed, there's the caveat again, that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuse to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. So there's a price to be paid, not necessarily a capital price. This is the law, what it says. And again, in our modern day, we just want them all dead. But that is not particularly here what the law is saying. What makes this entire situation so dreadful is the failure of David to follow any of these 
prescriptions. It's the failure of David to follow the necessary course of action prescribed by the law of God in order to purge Tamar of Amnon's wickedness and her shame. Now consider for a moment where David failed, which led to Absalom into taking matters into his own hands. Now it has been suggested, and we'll get to this point in a moment, that if if Absalom would have rushed in on Amnon, right after he recognized of what horrible thing he did to his sister, and killed Amnon at that moment, you might say, well, uh, we understand a, a, a passionate man wanted to vindicate his, his beloved sister. Yes, that would have been something else, but he waits two years, which made his action very horrible and very wicked. And we'll get to that in a moment. But let's consider where David failed. Well, firstly, upon hearing of Amnon's evil action, David should have called the elders to adjudicate the matter. That should have been his first move. Deuteronomy informs us that whenever there is a case of premarital fornication, which would include the forcible taking of a a woman by a man, the elders must be called into, into that situation to render a judgment on the matter. That was the law. David should have known the law. Because he had to write the law in his own journal. After violating Tamar, it is said that Amnon hated her. Now that she was no longer a virgin, he wanted nothing to do with her. But without the proper proceedings to vindicate Tamar, Amnon's evil act tarnished her for any future marriage. And David just never even considered bringing the elders into the situation. The law stated that whenever a man is suspected that his bride was not a virgin, he had to call the elders because they were the ones to adjudicate the matter. Calling upon the elders to a court proceeding was common, especially in the case of sexual relations. But in this case of Amnon and Tamar, that was never done. That was another fault of King David. No one was called to render judgment. David unilaterally decided to ignore the law and withhold any judgment whatsoever on the matter. This just exacerbated the problem and exacerbated the anger of Absalom. And this is probably one of the reasons why Absalom thought that he was a better judge than his father. Now remember, later on, Absalom is saying, I can judge Israel, I can judge better, because I would have judged differently in the case of Amnon and Tamar than my father did. Secondly, David showed partiality to his son Amnon by not bringing him to account. This also was a violation of the law, a series of laws. David perverted justice by not rendering justice. He was afraid to do anything, so he did nothing. Better you do something than to do nothing. He was a respecter of persons in this regard because he looked at his son and he said, well, he's my son, we'll have to give him a pass. No, David sinned. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. David could have spread it out before God. said, I don't know what to do about this. I'm conflicted. He's my son. She's my daughter. I don't know what to do. Bring in the elders. In the multitude of counsels, there's wisdom and safety. David also, obviously, pitied his son Amnon. But this too was a violation of the law according to Deuteronomy 19.21. You are not to pity when you're rendering justice. 
Number four, David failed to render justice to the victimized Tamar. He didn't even investigate any further what actually happened. He simply chose to get angry and put it out of his mind. With all of his posturing of anger, he did nothing. Tamar was the victim here. And she was reduced to a poor, shameful creature. And none came to her defense, not even the king. For poor Tamar, I believe that she felt betrayed. And sometimes that's the worst kind of feeling. That's the worst thing that could ever happen. Betrayal. Rape is one thing. Betrayal. That cuts deeper. Moses counsels this in Exodus 23.6. Thou shalt not rest the judgment of thy poor in this cause. She was poor Tamar. And yet, David is resting that judgment. He's not even taking judgment into account. So as a result of David's failure to act righteously, the stage is set for vigilante violence. John Calvin observes, he says, quote, This story shows that David was chastised as he deserved for not punishing Amnon. If David had done his duty, he could have prevented the horrendous homicide which took place. The wrath of Absalom would have been appeased. If he had seen Amnon condemned in prison for life or suffering some other punishment, even though he was still wicked, Absalom's vengeance would, in fact, have been put to death. Instead of having Amnon put to death, Absalom's vengeance would have been put to death. So Absalom waits two whole years to vindicate his sister. Amazing. A calculated man, a man of calculation and great planning, viciousness. And once again, we see the old adage in this historical example where the famous slogan of the Middle East originates, revenge is a dish best served cold. Absalom was coldly calculating his assassination revenge against his brother Amnon for two whole years, planning and plotting and thinking it out, going over it in your mind over and over and over and over without any remorse, without any asking of any counsel, not asking the Lord, is this the right thing to do? Is not the right thing? I, this is what I want. I'm going to kill the man. Wicked, wicked. The Reverend Scott observes, he says, quote, Absalom harbored the deepest resentment of the gross affront put upon himself and the irreparable injury done to his sister. Yet for two years he concealed his hatred under the appearance of indifference. Now once he was convinced that Amnon thought that the danger of retaliation had passed, two whole years, nothing happens, Absalom then hatches his plan of vigilante justice. And so he assembles his servants and invites all of the king's sons to a feast. Now, now remember, penalty would not necessarily have to have been death. And yet Absalom believes that it should be death. He's not even reading the law properly. And so he assembles his servants and invites all of the king's sons to a feast. We read this in verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is beside Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now, this was a customary feasting time, a celebration which was customary when the sheep would be shorn at a certain season, at a certain time, in a certain place. Now, using this as an occasion to lure Amnon to the slaughter, 
Absalom bids all of his brothers and the king himself to join the festivities. And we read this in verse 24. And Absalom comes to the king and he says, Behold, now thy servant had sheep shearers. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thee. Let's have this big party. Now this is an interesting orchestration that Absalom is setting up. When the scripture says... When the scripture says that Tamar put her hand to her head after being reviled by Amnon, again, I I really believe that it could be a reference to the fact that she shaved her head as a result of her shame. She had been shorn. Tamar had lost her headship covering by Amnon's act of betrayal. And it seems likely that she would have shaven her head in lamentation, which is probably why Absalom knew exactly what had happened to her without her uttering even a word. Now, Absalom, during the festival of sheep shearing, will have Amnon shorn by taking his life. Now, being killed, or as the scriptures call it, cut down, is symbolically spoken of as being shorn in Nahum chapter 1 verse 12. And it is here that God plays upon this imagery. Notice what it says in Nahum chapter 1 verse 12. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through. The phrase here in Nahum chapter 1 verse 12 The phrase here, cut down, is literally the Hebrew word for shorn, being shorn or shaven, as in the shearing of sheep. So bringing Amnon to the celebration of sheep shearing is a cold calculation by Absalom, which has an irony attached to it. Because in Absalom's mind, his sister's life was destroyed by the treachery of Amnon. Amnon caused Tamar to be shorn. Now, Amnon will be shorn. Amnon caused Tamar to be humiliated. Now Amnon will be humiliated. Amnon caused Tamar to be tormented. Now Amnon will be tormented. In Absalom's mind, Amnon must be both shamed and destroyed by forfeiting his life. In other words, in Absalom's mind, Amnon must pay the maximum penalty. He must suffer death. Now following the same cunning as Amnon, remember when Amnon asked David to send Tamar, Absalom asked the king to join the festivities. Perhaps Absalom thought that if he invited the king, then his plan would not be uncovered. It would seem innocent. And yet for some reason, Absalom might have known that the king would refuse. So at this time, Amnon was the king's representative and the next in line for the throne. So upon David's refusal, Absalom asked the king if Amnon could go in his stead perhaps as the king's representative. That was just perfectly normal. But David is suspicious. Perhaps David knew that Absalom still was angry. So we read this in verse 26 and verse 27. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Here's the suspicion. Why should he go with thee? What do you have in mind? Is there something... Is there something here that that we we, we should talk about? you have anything in mind that might not be very honorable? But Absalom pressed him, and he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Absalom had already conspired with his servants by this point, setting the stage for the assassination, 
and the vindication of his beloved sister Tamar. Now, note Absalom's strategy and his command to his servants in verse 28. Now, Absalom had commanded his servants, notice the plan is set, it's going to be hatched any moment now, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. Now, be astute and watch, and because when he's finally had enough wine to drink, and his defenses are down, I will say unto you, smite Amnon, I want you then to kill him, don't be afraid, because I will be first in line, in other words. I'm the king's son. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So first, let's get the guy drunk. This was a perfect plan because it was the time of celebration. It was the time of sheep shearing. And so having been assured by the space of two years that the danger had passed, Amnon was probably quite comfortable in the presence of Absalom and drank to the point of drunkenness. And that's what secured his doom. Amnon failed to take into consideration the fact that Solomon later speaks of it in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now once Amnon was well on his way into a drunken stupor, Absalom's men fall upon him and kill him, accomplishing Absalom's revenge. And once the deed is accomplished, every man then, they, they leave, they, they, they fled. On, notice what the scripture says, on their own mule. Now it's interesting that the scripture is specific as to how the men departed from the scene. Very interesting. They, they didn't run away, they didn't take horses, they didn't, even take, they, they didn't even take donkeys, they took mules. A mule is neither a horse nor a donkey. A mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse. Donkeys were used by the judges, whereas horses were reserved for kings. Now, if there's any significance to this whatsoever, it may be that Absalom's men were neither judges or kings, yet they were taking upon themselves the judgeship and the royal authority to pass a sentence upon Amnon in obedience to Absalom, who himself at this point was neither a judge or a king. And they were passing a sentence upon this man, which wasn't even mandatory. It's also interesting that at this point, Absalom has already established his army and some sort of a following. Yet, a murderous deed, especially against the king's heir, cannot be hid for long. So once the assassination is completed, a messenger brings David a false report at first, initially a false report, that all of the king's sons are dead. We read this in verse 30. And it came to pass while they were in the way that tidings came to David saying, Absalom has slain all the king's sons and there is not one of them left. This of course was untrue, but David couldn't have known that. And so he responds accordingly and all his servants with him in verse 31. The king arises, tears his garments and lays on the earth and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. Now while the king is lamenting, Jonadab strains out the story, telling the king that only Amnon has been killed. We read this in verse 32 and 33. And Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, notice, this is Jonadab, the the one who's part of the problem. He answered and says, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take this thing to heart, to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. Now, while this might have been a bittersweet relief for the king, 
Jonadab then admits that this was Absalom's plan all along. Notice, he says this, For by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now that must have been a shock to David. You mean, Jonadab, you knew this from the day that this all happened two years ago? If Jonadab knew this all along, why wasn't David told? Why wasn't I told David must be thinking? How could he, being the king, be left in the dark? Now this gives credence to the idea that Jonadab might have been very envious of Amnon. Moreover, the question might arise, how many others knew of Absalom's plan and still kept it a secret from the king and from Amnon? Did everyone hate Amnon? Did everyone love Absalom? Did everyone want to see Amnon killed? it would seem that Amnon was not very well liked. Perhaps they wanted to see some justice, even if it was over-the-top justice, since the king had refused to bring any kind of justice when the deed had happened. Wherever the facts might be, the murder of Amnon was successfully accomplished. Absalom is now on the run. Absalom's voluntary exile is telling He runs away because he knew that he did wrong. He knew he was wrong. He had hidden his plan of revenge, which was a premeditated murder. And yet, he executed it anyway. Once Absalom is on the run to Talmay, the king's sons return to the king, lamenting over the horrible situation that had befallen them that day. We read this in verse 37. It came to pass as soon as he, Jonadab, made an end of speaking, that behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept, And the king also and all his servants wept sore. Now it should be understood that the reason for their lamentation, the reason for their lamentation might have been multifaceted. They were not only weeping for the murder and loss of Amnon, but they might have been weeping for the loss of Absalom because he had to be now exiled. They may have also been weeping for the fact that the situation was not remedied as it should have been in the first place, after Tamar was violated. It was weeping all around. There were problems all around. You see what happens when we don't deal with problems right away? When we don't deal justly with problems right away? Things get so out of hand. And this lesson is very important for us. We must be careful to address situations as they present themselves, no matter how difficult they are. And sometimes we might be faced with very difficult situations. But that is when... As David should have done, that is when we bow before God. If the matter is too hard for us, we ask God to intervene, giving us wisdom, giving us understanding, giving us counselors to help us with how to bring about a righteous solution to a very difficult situation. This entire horror show was a direct result of sin, which was made worse by not applying the law of God to solve the problems which the sin brought about. David, however, was perhaps weeping more than anyone else since he knew all too well that everything had happened to the kingdom and to his family that day because it was a direct result of his adultery with Bathsheba and his murderous plan to hide his sin by killing Uriah. So here it's all upon David. Mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Because it becomes systemic once we we vacillate, once we go away from what God tells us to do and go our own way, down our own path. Things get bad and they get more and more grievous as days go on. 
And so the apostle clearly states, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that also shall he reap. David's grief is not only for Amnon, but now perhaps added to his sorrow is his grief for Absalom. He loves Absalom. Notice it says this, And David mourned for his son every day. He didn't want to see Absalom exiled. Nevertheless, Absalom's exile lasted for three years. During that time, the scripture says that David longed for his son Absalom. It seems as if time had healed the king's sorrow Amnon's death, for he was finally comforted. Perhaps David had come to terms with the fact that these events had to take place as a fulfillment of Nathan's prophecy of judgment against David's house. Perhaps David even understood that if he would have acted more justly in the situation when it first presented itself, perhaps these things wouldn't have happened as it had happened. And perhaps that's why he's weeping and lamenting. But little did David know that the chastising hand of God upon him, his family, and his kingdom had only just begun. We shall examine that next when we return to our exposition of the second book of Samuel. And this we shall do, God helping us unto the praise of the glory of his grace. Amen.